Hello, critical thinkers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy and Awake podcast. My name is Mike Vera, board-certified health coach, the host of this podcast. Today's going to be a little bit different. I know it's only like episode five, but still, it's going to be different. Um, With the Super Bowl that just passed yesterday, I thought it would be appropriate to talk about propaganda and sports, which might not seem like a like those two go together, but I can assure you they do. And that's what we're going to talk about. So let's get into it. So this is still early on in the podcast. I'm just going to say, uh, as a reminder, I'm aware there are some audio and video issues. I'm still working all that out. I just uh, got the upgraded internet. I got some new software. I've been messing with the settings. I'm trying to do everything to get everything right. So I know there has been like some annoying issues, uh, especially with sound. It's no good for a podcast. But if you do enjoy the show, please rest assured that I am working on these things. Like even right now, I'm adjusting the microphone volume. Hopefully, hopefully that's okay. Hopefully that didn't mess up anything. But um, so we're talking about propaganda and sports and how it's relevant. Because unfortunately, the Eagles just lost the Super Bowl. I say unfortunately because I'm from Philadelphia. I got 215 running in my blood. And before you start throwing your jerseys at me, I'm not here to say that sports are bad, that we should denounce sports and that it's purely a propaganda tool that should just be thrown away. That's not what I'm here to say. But there is some propaganda around it that I think is worth talking about. If we're being influenced by propaganda, well, I like, even if it's not by propaganda, I like to be aware of when I'm influenced. So it is a very, what's the word, manipulative sort of thing. There's an indoctrination process that goes along with sports, which might sound a little extreme, but I said this last time, and if you don't believe me, try convincing an Eagles fan to switch to the Vikings or the Cowboys or something like that. Um, that, that won't work because people take their sports pretty seriously. And again, I'm not knocking sports and I'm not knocking those people, but there's something there, right? There's something worth exploring. Like, why is it that some people take it so seriously? Why is it that some people get worked up about their sports team as if they were like right there playing that sport, right? Especially when you watch football on TV or something like that. Some people are throwing shit at the TV and yelling at the top of their lungs. Yeah, I mean, you don't even see that much uh, energy or action when it's something they should be (laughs) worked up about. So it it is interesting and it's worth talking about, I think, because it's also widely accepted and celebrated by society. It's a very normal thing to just have, you know, like to be crazy about sports. And, you know, as I picture this in my head, I'm picturing football, but there are, of course, plenty of other sports. I just think here in America that football is one of the most 
propagandized sports maybe and i think even even the big football fans will eventually agree with me on this as i get deeper into it but bef- before i even get into that before i get into like the propaganda and, and all that of today and the, the super bowl and today's sports i thought it would be appropriate to start with how we even ended up here and I guess this isn't the very beginning of this sort of thing. Maybe it is. I, I would have to look into that. But but the ancient Roman Colosseum, it had an impact on their society that still rings true today. It still has affected us. And there's definitely a parallel between the Roman Colosseum and the Colosseums, if you want to call them that, the stadiums that we have today, the football stadiums. So let's talk a little bit about the Roman Colosseum so that we can draw those parallels in case you aren't aware of the Colosseum or some of the things. I I did some research for this episode. I actually learned some things on this topic myself. So first, before we even get into the Colosseum, I think it's important to understand that the Romans had a propaganda machine and the Colosseum was part of that. We have our own propaganda machine today, which... Some people don't know what that is. Some people dismiss that as a conspiracy theory. But the the propaganda machine is various structures or systems that allow for a type of trickle-down communication where there's like a communicator or, or like some organization that wants a message put forth to the masses. And so there are ways to coordinate the propagation of that information through multiple channels. So that's why I say propaganda machine and not like an ad. An ad is like, oh, look, that there, that's a billboard. That's an ad. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a propaganda machine, a big coordinated system for propagating messaging. And the the Romans were masters at this. They had very effective propaganda machines to reinforce the power and dominance of the ruling class. That's what it was for. I wonder if they use it for that today. I wonder. Um, But it's very much... There are a lot of similarities to how we operate today for powerful people with dominance, how they put forth their messages through a newer type of propaganda machine. But we don't have to get too much into the the propaganda machine itself. We're here to talk about the actual sports and the fun and, and the Coliseum in particular which if you've ever seen the movie The Gladiator, you have some, maybe not perfectly accurate, but some idea of the Colosseum and and what goes on there. So most people are familiar with like the games that go on at the Roman Colosseum that involve uh, even some crazy things as fighting lions and, and stuff like that. But really the games and the spectacles were to entertain and distract the public. Is the Roman Empire. They were trying to take over the world. Trying to expand their empire. Like any good empire does. And in order to help manage the situation, you have to keep the people busy. You can't manage people who have their own agendas, who you know, are, are really critically thinking about things, and they, they want answers to questions about what you're doing. You, you can't really build a global domination empire if the people are kind of getting in the way. 
So what did they do? The Roman Empire, they built coliseums, multiple coliseums, but uh, most people are familiar with uh, the big one, the main coliseum in the center of Rome. And to give a little more perspective from me here, uh, if you are watching this, you'll see on the screen now, that's a picture of me at the Colosseum. That's me there in real life. I've been there uh, multiple times now, inside and out. You can see here, it wasn't that crowded on this particular day. If you go early enough, it's not crowded. You get to beat the, the traffic from the tourists. Um, lots of people trying to sell you useless crap. People dress like Roman gladiators there to take pictures with tourists. Uh, it, it's a good time. I recommend the Colosseum if you're ever in, in Rome. Definitely check it out. But it's, of course, totally different today than it was back then. It's it's uh, a little beat up. And you can only imagine what it was like back then. But they use these events to manipulate the minds of the masses. And I mean, I was watching when I was watching the Super Bowl yesterday, I was looking at just a massive crowd of people. It's insane. And I, I think we talked about crowd psychology last time. I just I've never been in a crowd that size for like one of those football stadiums like the Super Bowl. It's just it affects your psychology. I don't know. I'm, I'm fascinated by that. But there is something that happens when you are in a group that size there's an element of psychology that's different for a group than for an individual. We talked about this last time with de-individuation and the crowd mind. I think that was the sheep mind episode. So there is something about being congregated in a, in a massive group that allows for powerful people or influential people to manipulate that large group in some way. And that's exactly what they did in the Roman Colosseum. They exploited the emotions and manipulated the minds of the masses through grand spectacles. So yeah, you can draw some parallels between today with the Super Bowl and the Colosseum. You look at the halftime show, Rihanna's up there pregnant, floating around on a big float and the people, oh, look at her. So it, and I'm not, this is not at all critical. I watched the Super Bowl. I was there, you know, watching it on TV. I watched it. So I'm not trying to be uh, critical here for somebody watching the Super Bowl. It's a type of propaganda that we all participate in and we all seem to love. But with the Coliseum, it was more than just games. It was more than just something like football, like we watch here uh, on, on the Super Bowl. So there were the gladiator, gladiator games, but there were also these types of animal hunts, which I think was also in the movie where you had to fight a lion, something like that. Uh, there were naval battles. So there were battles between maybe some groups, public executions. You can make a demonstration of the people who broke the laws or disobeyed or who were insubordinate and reenactments of mythological battles. So almost like a theater type thing. Tons of stuff to keep the people busy, entertained, distracted. So they also sold merch and did TikTok dances. I bet you didn't know that. At the Roman Colosseum, TikTok dances. Of course, that's a joke. Um, they probably sold merch, though, I would imagine. I mean, you know, like T-shirts with gladiators' faces on them. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. Um, but it was more than just a distraction or, or just trying to entertain or influence people. It was really about promoting the values and ideas of the ruling elites. 
which is propaganda, right? So the ruling elites say, hey, we want the public to act like X, Y, and Z. How do we do that? Oh, just invite them to the Coliseum, put on a show. We'll construct our messaging in a certain way. We'll get them a little intoxicated, which is my next point, which is true. So intoxicants like alcohol and even opium were used to modify the mood of the people, of the spectators, and especially alcohol. So for the games, most notably the games held in the Coliseum, alcohol was distributed either freely or cheaply to the people to create a festive atmosphere, to keep things fun and jovial, but also to sort of diminish their prefrontal cortex a little bit in a way so that they're more receptive to the messaging. Now, I, I know I stated that a little bit technically, but this is true, when, and you know this. When you drink, your part of your brain kind of turns off. As I mean, I've experienced I say stupid shit all the time if I get drunk, right? That's a, a pretty common thing. So why is that? Well, it kind of like turns off or it influences parts of your brain in a certain way. It lowers your inhibition. So there's a lot of implications to that, but, but we're not here to talk about that today. My point here is that they do distribute, they did during the Roman Colosseum, distribute alcohol and other intoxicants to not only make things more fun, but to make people more receptive to the propaganda that they were spewing. And if there were long games, then opium might even be used. Sounds like a fun time. So the intoxicants were common not only in Rome. It's worth noting this this happened in uh, other parts of history and other cultures around this same time was even used during religious ceremonies, festivals, political gatherings. These people liked to party. Uh, and if you don't believe me, I, I did do my due diligence here with research for anyone who does want to read more about this particular topic with alcohol and intoxicants being dispersed through the Roman Colosseum. Roman historian Suetonius writes in the lives of the 12 Caesars about how the emperor Nero provided free or cheap wine to spectators at the game. Another example is the Roman poet Juvenal, who mentions the use of opium in his works. And then there are uh, pieces of archaeological evidence of widespread production and distribution of alcohol and other intoxicants. So, you know, they, they liked their intoxicants when they would go to the Colosseum. Now, we covered ancient times, the Roman Colosseum, the propaganda, the games. But what about today? Do we see propaganda in sports today? You betcha. We see quite a bit of it. And sports and propaganda, I would say, are often intertwined. Anybody who's watched any sport in the past year or two knows this. So first, as usual, let me add some disclaimers here. This is not political in nature, what I'm about to say. I'm not expressing a type of opinion. But we know that when we watch sports, especially like football and basketball here in America, there are agendas inserted into the narratives, whether you're talking about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee or the LGBTQ flag on, on the helmets of some of the players or Leah Thomas as the transgender swimmer. I'm not saying anything about any of those topics. That's, that's for you to, to have an opinion on. I'm not here to share my opinion. I'm just saying 
that sports leveraged the attention of the masses to propagate messaging on certain topics. That's what it is. I, you you might not like that. Hey, that's not propaganda. No, it, it is technically propaganda to have an LGBTQ agenda put forth on TV, in football. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's an agenda that's being propagated on TV and, and beyond in a way that can shape the public narrative. I want to be crystal clear. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I know somebody is, is still going to be offended, but um, it is what it is. That's the facts. The, that's the, uh, the truth. The objective reality is that the sports today are incredibly widely accepted. And let's forget about today. Let's go back a little bit. There's the campaign Be Like Mike from Michael Jordan. I'm, I'm looking at my notes here. You see me looking away. Uh, this advertising campaign, which ran from 1991 to 1993, featured NBA star Michael Jordan as the spokesperson for Gatorade. The campaign was hugely successful and helped to make Gatorade the best-selling sports drink in the world. The campaign also contributed to the development of the athleisure brand, which saw athletic-inspired clothing become popular in mainstream fashion. So that was 1991 to 1993. And I just saw an ad, I think during the Super Bowl of the new Michael Jordan movie that's coming out about Michael Jordan shoes. So like this is propaganda that happened in 1991 that is still we're seeing the effects of that today. And it helped, like it says here, to make Gatorade the best selling sports drink in the world, which might still be true. At the very least, it's still extremely popular. So while it's easy to dismiss the effects of something like the LGBT flag on on somebody's helmet it can have profound effects on society again i'm not saying that's good or bad i'm gonna i'm getting annoyed that i have to keep saying that but i realize this can be taken into clips and somebody can make me look like i'm saying something worse than i am or some people might misinterpret it or if somebody's just tuning in they'll only hear part of it so i'm, I'm not trying to uh, uh express an opinion about that i'm just saying sports can be used as propaganda and a lot of people watch it a lot of people don't think about it too much and it can shape people's minds just like this Be Like Mike advertising campaign in 1991 that still has effects today, right? We still see people spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on Air Jordans, people drinking Gatorade sometimes while giving no attention to water. So it, it can be a pretty powerful platform to affect the way people think about certain things. And this could be good or bad. So I've, I've given some, uh, you know, neutral things, let's say. But some people might see it as a positive thing if we can get people to be more patriotic, right? And an American government should be okay with American ideals being put forth in sports. So we're talking patriotic symbols when they sing the national anthem, putting your hand over your heart and uh, the American flag and, and all these different things. I know some people don't like that because it is propaganda. Uh, but to me, it seems like a type of positive propaganda. And that's one thing that this is my opinion here. That bothers me how people will be, uh, especially in today's society, like, oh, this is American patriotic propaganda or even Christian. They'll be like, oh, this is Christian propaganda. Get that out of here. While simultaneously, they'll spew other propaganda on, on something else. And they'll have no idea that they're just parroting propaganda talking points. If you have opinions of any kind, they're probably shaped by propaganda in some way. Because that's just the propagation of ideas. You form your opinions with ideas. 
So it's not fair to say like, oh, we shouldn't have people doing the Pledge of Allegiance in school. That's that's indoctrination. That's propaganda. But we should be okay with this other propaganda over here. Let's have them take an implicit bias test. I, I Just the hypocrisy and, and the contradictions are overwhelming in, in society. And it's going to continue unless we talk about it, which is why I'm talking about it. And these are hard things to talk about. You know that because I've added 10 different disclaimers so far. We're only 20 minutes in. But this will be a, a bit of a shorter episode today. Um, so the, the sports platforms today we, we covered, they can affect everybody. Even when we look back to 1991, even today with patriotic ideals, they can be put forth in the sports, which I think you have a stronger case for that than some of the other propaganda messaging that's put into sports. Um, I mean, not because of my opinion, but when you look at, the response of the people. A lot of people are just sick of political messaging in sports. They just tune it out. But nobody who goes to these sporting events seems to be sick of standing for the national anthem, right? So I'm only saying this to get you thinking about where these messaging efforts come from. Because if it were up to the people, you would see different messaging than you do, I think, because the, the elites have their own type of agenda. But But I digress. What are some of the other aspects of propaganda that are involved in sports? Well, the sports, them, the team sports themselves. So there's a type of indoctrination that happens with team sports. You have your coordinated uniforms. You have the matching logos. You have chants and songs and phrases and catch, uh, uh, what's it called? Like taglines and all kinds of things to get people basically on the same wavelength. And if you've ever watched, I think it's, rugby where this team has the they call it the haga dance or the haga chant where they get there and they they like stomp around and they chant these things to intimidate the other team and they're they're doing that to get them all the whole team on the same wavelength with their brain it, it's pretty incredible the effect that sports can have on the mind and we don't really give it much thought we're kind of just like oh yeah catch the ball oh touchdown oh he got it in the net and, and there's so much more going on than just like throwing a ball around. Um, it, it can be interesting if you're a weirdo like me, next time you're at a sporting event of any kind, instead of watching the players, watch the audience. That can be a lot like just how different a group functions than an individual or they're, they're doing things. They, they probably don't even have full conscious awareness, the things that they're saying and you know, like throwing their hands in the air and screaming and all these different things that are, are just almost like uh, being pulled out of them just because they're part of that crowd. So we've covered a lot of this. I'm, I'm looking here again in my notes. The mass media has a, a major role in shaping public perception, not of just sports, but even of whatever might be discussed during sports. Here's a funny story. My mom actually tried to kill me once. Uh, I, I was in public school in Philadelphia where they take their sports very seriously. And she sent me to school in a Cowboys Jersey, which is basically a death sentence. <laughs> I survived obviously, but that might be the first place I learned the middle finger and certain curse words. I don't, I don't remember. Um, so that did, that did happen. I'm joke. I'm telling a joke here, but that did happen. Um, what else? 
So the halftime show happened during the, the Super Bowl. That's just as much propaganda as the sports itself. Keep the people entertained, just like the Roman Coliseum. And if, if I can't imagine pushback on that, like they're the same thing, the Coliseum and, and the Super Bowl. Nowadays, we have stupid ass games or sports like the, the slapping thing on UFC. I don't know if you've seen that. I don't watch much sports at all. The, the Super Bowl that I watched yesterday, that was the first time I watched football since the last Super Bowl. I don't even know if I watched the last one, to be honest. But now the UFC, which I do watch, I like MMA, people punching each other in the face. Uh, the stakes are higher. It's a little less repetitive. Eh, maybe not. Uh, but now the same guy who runs the UFC, Dana White, is coming out with this this slapping thing where people just stand there and slap each other in the face. And I don't mean slap like a dainty little with, with your fingers slap you. It's basically like an open palm punch to the face. And I don't even have a point about propaganda on this. I just think it's stupid as hell that they're, you know, there's no talent or anything involved. They're just standing there as hard as they can slapping each other in the face. I don't know. Seems like uh, an invitation for concussions, <laughs> which are not healthy. But a little bit more into like team sports and and why it's so easy to have a propagandistic type effect is this actually is very important because it gets to a deep biological mechanism in in the human mind, and that's this idea of in group out group bias. So why is it that a kid wearing a Cowboys jersey in Philadelphia would get treated like he's some kind of criminal or something? Well, there's this idea of in-group, out-group bias, which is a tendency in the, the human mind to feel safe around people you consider to be the in-group, people on your team. And it's easy to feel like somebody in the out-group is the enemy. And this, like I said, goes back to our biological roots. This is a survival mechanism that allowed us to not be naive and just go ahead and approach uh, possible uh, evil people, people who are against us, this in-group, out-group bias. So the in-group, back in, in ancient times, that's our team. That's the people we travel with, the, our fellow nomads. We're going around picking berries and hunting together. Those are my people. But maybe we see a group of people over there that look different from us. Maybe the different skin, different clothes, whatever it is. That's the out group. And so what I'm saying here is there is a unavoidable natural tendency in the brain that causes us to identify those different looking people as the out group. And everybody who looks like me, everybody over here with me, they're the in group. So what I'm saying is we have this deep mechanism in our mind to separate ourselves from other people and we see that manifest itself in sports we pick look oh this is my this is my in-group over here we all have the same jersey on those assholes over there they're wearing the different jersey what a bunch of jerks and so it's almost silly when you really think about it it's so arbitrary um but that's what it is. It's a manifestation of our natural biological mechanisms that help us survive, but they're applied to a ball game. <laughs> it's really what it is. Um, so at, at its true essence, 
team sports are built on propaganda tactics, influence tactics, let's say, uh, with coordinated uniforms, logos, chants, and, and leveraging in-group, out-group bias. People don't just switch teams in sports. Well, some people do. I actually, when I researched this, I found out some people very much do, but they're the exception. Uh, most people do not switch team sports unless they feel like betrayed by their in-group, right? That's when you would more likely see somebody switching sports teams when they, they feel like their personal sense of values doesn't align with the team's sense of values for whatever reason. So that does happen sometimes. But as we wind down here, I did want to talk about something interesting that came up during my research for this episode, and that's this idea of sports diplomacy, how sports can be used as a tool for international relations. And that's when you get into something like the Olympics, because we talked about how sports here more locally, like within America, can be used to promote ideals or values or messaging of some sort. But it can also be used internationally across the world with something like the Olympics to promote social change or raise awareness or uh, posture as a, a country or, or any of that. Promote human rights, bring attention to global issues. So I have some examples of this, how sports can serve as a unifying force in terms of conflict or times of conflict and division or international diplomacy or shaping international attitudes or relationships. Uh, these are all just uh, historical facts. I don't have an opinion about any of these. I say that because some of them are political. I mean, anything that's internationally diplomatic is going to be political. But let me read these. So this is me reading here. Ping pong diplomacy. In 1971, the United States table tennis team was invited to tour China, which helped to ease tensions between the two countries and pave the way for President Richard Nixon's historic visit to China the following year. Again, I don't have an opinion. I'm just sharing the historical facts. Diplomatic ice hockey. During the Cold War, ice hockey was used as a diplomatic tool to ease tensions between the U.S. and Soviet Union. Olympic diplomacy. The Olympic Games have been long used as a platform for diplomacy. For example, the joint march of North and South Korea at the 2018 Winter Olympics helped to ease tensions on the Korean Peninsula. Football diplomacy, cricket diplomacy, and it goes on. So sports can be used to shape relations between different governments or countries. And even beyond that, it can get people to buy stuff. Um, no matter what the country is, sports can be used as an advertising platform, which is just an overt form of propaganda. Some of the egregious examples include the gambling ads that they show over and over and over and over to an annoying extent. Gamble. Hey, gamble right now. Go to DraftKings. So there, there's a reason that that messaging is very repetitive. And if you're interested in persuasive marketing and advertising and that sort of thing, I did a really cool episode. I was the guest on a health coaching friends podcast, Laura Tim Brooks, the shift health coach podcast. And I'm going to be live broadcasting that on Wednesday. So stay tuned for that. If you want to see how companies or corporations use propaganda and influence to get you to buy things like we discussed here, like they do in 
sports. And the very last thing here is that the relationship between sports and consumerism is constantly evolving. There's going to be new modes to advertise and, and new ways to construct messaging. So that's something to look out for. But I would encourage you to think about these things. I know some people would rather not. But these are the things that help us wake up because they can influence us or these things might be using parts of our brain that would be helpful to be aware that those parts are active. And that's like in-group, out-group bias. So I'm curious what your experience with sports or propaganda like around sports is. Have you ever noticed propaganda in sports? What are some of the messaging uh, types of messaging that you've noticed that you might find annoying or unwanted or welcome or whatever. So have you noticed propaganda in sports, whether it's an overt type of messaging that's used within sports to influence you or some of the propaganda mechanisms that are manifesting themselves in sports, like the, the chanting and, and the group cohesion and things like that. It's just interesting things. It can make watching a sport more interesting if you've never paid attention to these types of things before. So let me just summarize real quick. We started by talking about the Roman Colosseum and, and the history of sports propaganda and, and how they even used alcohol and opium to get the people a little messed up so that they're a little more relaxed and also more susceptible to messaging. We talked about modern sports propaganda and how even as far back as 1991, the Be Like Mike campaign had an influence that still lasts today. We talked about the patriotism of modern sports and, and how that could be a good thing. How team sports have propaganda built in. And even how sports diplomacy is a thing and how they can be used for, I guess, possibly for good, depending on the the country and their agenda and how sports can be very consumer driven, of course, especially in today's capitalist society, which I'm not saying is good or bad, just stating a fact. So the last thing I should probably not forget here is to plug my own business, Red Pill Health and Wellness. I am a board certified health coach. I have been in health for a long time. I have helped a lot of people with their health. My bachelor's degree is in psychology. My master of science degree is in exercise and health promotion with concentrations in injury prevention and performance enhancement and sports psychology. And I have experience in cognitive psychology research as a lab manager at Penn State University. I am fully in it. This is all I think about. I'm obsessed and I love it. I wouldn't have it any other way. So with that in mind, feel free to check out my website, mikevira.com or redpillhealthandwellness.com. They both go to the same place. But you can support the show, the mission, which the mission, by the way, is to make the world a healthier and more truthful place. That's healthy and awake. You can share this video or like it or comment, please at least comment. Give me some feedback. Let me know what you think, what your thoughts are, what you'd like to see next. You could also, if you want to work on your health, you can check out my signature health coaching program, the Red Pill Your Health program, 
where I give you all the fundamentals so that you can make your own informed decisions. It's not a program for me to tell you what to do, but to give you all the information so you can tell yourself what to do. Most people know what they should do to be healthy, but they can become paralyzed with all of the decisions that they have to make, all the research they have to do, all the information they have to process. I do all that hard work for you. And still, if you get stuck, if you want help with your health, if you do the premium version of the program, you will have access to me or another board-certified health coach where we will work with you one-on-one. -on -one. Well, it's in a group setting, but within the group, we will talk with you one-on-one -on -one to help specifically you with your exact, unique, individual problems so that there's no guesswork. There's It's to save you time, save you effort. And if you're still not convinced, go check out the website where you can see my reviews, which are on video. So it's not just text. You can see that this is a, a something I really have done. Um, and it's something that I'm always going to do because it's I'm trying to leave a positive impact on the world and uh, shake things up a little bit. I want to disrupt our current very broken medical model that doesn't seem to be making very many people well, I, I wouldn't say it's not making people healthier, but people like the level of sickness is still going up. If you break your leg, you want to go to the hospital. But if you have a chronic disease, what, what the hell is a hospital going to do? So it's really up to you to prevent these things, to take control of your own health. And my health coaching program, Red Pill Your Health, can help with exactly that. And again, I got to reemphasize this, that I'm a board certified health coach. I'm not just some guy who's saying, hey, I love health, come work with me. So not only do I have the experience as a personal trainer, which I didn't mention, but I have that, uh, but I also have the bachelor's degree in psychology, I have the master's degree in health, and then I have the board certification, which is through the NBME, that's the National Board of Medical Examiners, which is the same institution that credentials the doctors for their board certification. Um, so I'm going to spend another episode in the future talking more about health coaching because a lot of people still don't know what that is. When I tell people I'm a health coach, they think I'm going to give them a diet plan or tell them what exercises to do. And that's not it at all. Other people think that I'm going to try to take away like, oh, I don't want to go to a health coach because they're going to tell me what to do, what like to not eat this or to do that, which is also not true. So there needs to be some uh, consumer education on what health coaching is. And I'm going to do that. But that maybe will be next week. So I hope you found this helpful at least a little bit. Uh, please give me some uh, idea of what you thought of this episode or what you'd like to hear next. But that's it for now. Stay healthy, stay awake, and I'll see you later.